We are live. Nun, which is a known as or symbolizes seed, continue, an air, or a sun. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hand, I will not forget your laws. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever, and they are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Good deal. Okay, we have um, 18th, said 17th today, I guess 18th. Hang on, there it is, 18th. He didn't expect his theological training to include a stint in a mental institution. John Sung was born in 1901. He's an unsung hero. <laughs> the son of a Methodist minister in Southeast China. When he was nine, a great revival swept through the city of Hinghua. And John gave his life to Jesus. He immediately began assisting his father in his ministry. Throughout his teenage years, he gave himself completely to evangelism and study. In 1919, Sung had a dream that he would one day become a great evangelist. He came to America to escape the political climate of China, exactly the time my grandmother's family had to leave China, which he felt would restrict his academic pursuits. Once in America, he threw himself into studying physics and chemistry at Ohio Wesleyan University, and then at Ohio State University, where he earned a PhD in chemistry. In just 21 months, he started to pursue a degree at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, but he felt his faith in Jesus slipping away as the studies of rationalism, Taoism, and Buddhism influenced his thinking. Then, in February 1927, he attended an evangelistic service at a local Baptist church where he heard of a 15-year-old girl who read from the scriptures and speak of the gospel with incredible conviction and passion. It touched him profoundly. He deeply desired the faith and power he saw in the girl, a faith he had once had. Later, as he read the story of the death of Christ in Luke 23, he experienced a deep repentance as he realized that his sins were indeed forgiven. He could not contain his joy and newfound peace as he ran throughout the campus shouting for joy and singing the praises of his Savior. Sung's enthusiasm for his reclaimed faith was not seen as positive by all at the seminary because he had previously been intensely serious as a student and now was running around jumping for joy and telling everyone of his spiritual experience the president of the seminary thought that Sung had lost his mind and had, committed, and had him committed to a mental institution. It was only due to the intervention of the Chinese consul and a professor friend at Ohio Westland that he was released from the mental hospital after six months on the condition that he would return to China. Back in China, John Sung's driving passion was to proclaim to everyone the joy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. During the next 15 years, he was a highly effective evangelist, leading many thousands to Christ throughout China and Southeast Asia. His two-hour sermons focused on the need for repentance with the cross as the remedy. His unique preaching style and his scathing reproaches of lukewarm leaders and missionaries created a stir wherever he went. 
Finally, Sung's long-neglected health began to deteriorate, and in 1940, he was diagnosed with cancer and tuberculosis. Over the next three years, he underwent multiple surgeries, still preaching whenever possible. In June of, let's see here, in June of 1944, his condition worsened. No longer strong enough to preach, his days were spent reading the Bible, singing, and praying with family and friends. On August 16th, he told his wife that God had shown him that he would die. He fell into a coma, but recovered enough to sing verses of three hymns the next day. Sweet by and by, Jesus keep me near the cross, and Jesus is all the world to me. His last words to his wife were, don't be afraid. The Lord Jesus is at the door. What is there to fear? John Sung died the morning of August 18, 1944, at the age of 42. He was carried to his grave. The crowd sang many of his favorite hymns, a fitting tribute to a life characterized by singing praise to Jesus. John Sung was so passionate and joyful about the forgiveness he had found in Jesus Christ that some thought he was crazy. Uh, do you experience joy in serving Jesus? Do you share that joy with others? And it says in Ephesians 3 verse 8, I was chosen for this special joy of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. So there you go about that. That's pretty wonderful stuff. Um, uh, I'd rather uh, tell people I'm crazy for Jesus than just about anything on this planet. Isn't it funny that a Wesleyan uh, university would think he was crazy because he was so on fire for the Lord? I, I, that's <laughs> what was bothering me is the seminary itself doesn't get what, and that's all over the world even to this day. Um, these seminaries, they, even though they're supposed to be teaching you theology, they do not teach you a right relationship with the Lord. It's just not something that you're going to find in 99% of them. And most of them will actually dismiss the Bible, dismiss faith. I mean, it's just terrible. So uh, so their, their uh, son got pretty famous, too. Uh, who's that? Sam. Sam. Oh, Sam Sung. He, yes, he did. Um, uh, absolutely. That's bad. It's horrible. But okay. Hey guys. Um, hang on, I, I, I've got to finish this really quickly. Something went off and, um, okay. Okay, um, so uh, we had um, uh, Sam Sung is famous and John Sung uh, died. Okay, I got something talking about being crazy for Jesus. Uh, I told you about the uh, people in Pakistan recently and their newfound faith. Um, I got a letter from them. Now, these are people that have just been believers for, hey, Brian Fagan, how are you, buddy? Blessed, um, to, be blessed to be here, blessed to have you. Um, uh, they've been uh, believers for a short amount of time, a couple months at the most. We sent him some Bibles. He asked some questions. He's received Jesus. Now, listen, so I've, I've told you about some other things that they've done. Uh, this is so long since we heard from each other. He hasn't emailed in a while. I never write emails. Unless somebody emails me, I don't write emails. I, I just in that way. So if you think I'm ignoring you, it's because you're not e emailing me, okay? Um, and don't call me. I don't like the telephone. But um, this is uh, so long since we heard from each other. We believe that you are doing well. God is good, and he is doing good things to us while we follow him. Now, I can't give their names, okay? But um, you know that. But I, oh, And I don't want to have the picture on the back of the lady. You all can see this. I'll pass it around uh, that they've talked to. And we'll pray for this person, but I can't give out names. God is good, and he is doing good things to us, and we will follow him. We notice our lives are changed, and people in our neighborhood also notice that we are changed in attitude and behavior. This is only after a short amount of time in a country where they had no religious instruction at all on Jesus. 
They had to kind of find him through the internet. Okay, this is what this is what God has changed us. We are thankful to God for all his help and safety. There has been a huge rain in the area and there is more terrible rain alert. It is advised not to travel during this week. This is called monsoon rain. Well, you know about that. I know about that. If you've lived in Southeast Asia, you know about the monsoon rains. And this year it is raining 80% more than last year. This is in um, Pakistan and I read lots of articles on this. It's very bad there. Please pray that God stop this rain and bring peace. That reminds me of a saying in India before the rains come, they pray for the rains because it's so hot and dry. And when the rains come, they pray for the rains to stop because there's so much of it. So uh, it, it's the state of the world we live in, but it's the same in Pakistan at times. Um, many people are without work and have been suffering from diseases. My wife and I have been meeting two ladies. Now this is just people that are just very young in the faith. Two ladies who are neighbors and they are seeking the true God they belong to the Hindu religion and follow Hindu ritual things. Uh, one of them understands about the true God and shared with her some Bible verses from the Bible. She had so many questions that she raised to understand. She needs more prayers for she can accept Jesus in her life. Uh, the other one needs prayers also for that she may come to know the true God also. We shared with her also some Bible verses to teach her and uh, they uh, say uh, we're hoping we can help deliver these two ladies and we are happy that how God is working in our lives through his word and the Bible. We are sending a picture of one of them. Pray for her. Just a couple months and they're, they're out there telling everybody and the people in the, the town have seen the change in them. So um, I hope we can edit that out, Sergio. If that's something we can do later after, uh, after uh, church, please let me know. That would be great. Um, okay, uh, so we got that. We've got uh, one year Christian history. We've got uh, the letter from uh, the folks in Pakistan. And um, uh, I got a couple of prayer requests. Uh, uh, a friend that I have, uh, I've known her for many years. She lives in Reno, okay? And uh, she's uh, from the Indian uh, culture, okay? She's a Christian, but she's from the Indian, American Indian culture. And she's looking for an affordable alcohol rehab center for uh, a friend. I won't uh, give any explicit details, but this is, they can't afford a lot, but this person is uh, an alcoholic. They need to get a rehab on the West Coast somewhere. Uh, the only places they can find are like $30,000 and they, they can't afford that. But this person needs to uh, go to a Christian rehab. Uh, they don't want to go to anybody that's not Christian. So if you know of anybody, if anybody's listening to this and you know something in the West Coast area that is cheap, that can help a church that provides this, uh, you know, we've had a couple alcoholics in the church here and they will tell you, you need to have at least 90 days away from whatever, whether it's drugs or alcohol, uh, in order to uh, be dry and they recommend even more if possible. So if, if you know anybody that can help them, send me an email and I will get the information to them and I would very much appreciate that. Where are they specifically? Okay. She's in Reno, the son is in Nevada, and so they're, they're in that area. But if you know of something, anywhere on the, the West Coast is what they're looking for, that is affordable Christian rehab. Okay, Andy, 
She emailed today she's doing great. She had an excellent EKG and so on, starting um, 12 weeks of cardiac rehab. I guess they take your heart and put it on an exercise mill or something. I don't know what they do, but she'll be going through 12 weeks sure, of that. That's what they do. Yes, uh, they won't be here this Sunday. They're, they've got to go up to um, uh, north of Tampa for something, but um, uh, she's excited about being healthy and things are getting better. So. Uh, We'll keep her in prayer a little bit longer. Um, today is the 18th of August, and um, uh, I have a friend that is having his birthday today, okay? Um, uh, I've talked about him many times on the, uh, during the Bible study. I've talked about him many times uh, uh, during Sunday church, and uh, he, he's the most gracious person I know on the planet, okay? He's the guy that leads our ministry in the projects. Um, he does this, um, uh, he, for 16 years he's been doing this, and so um, uh, I would just ask that today you would remember Tom Alley, he's here with us, and I'm just trying to embarrass him as much as possible, but um, Tom Alley is, is the finest person that I know. He really is a humble, gentle, Christian giant, and so uh, keep Tom, uh, you know, uh, in your prayers as far as uh, blessing him and the Lord taking care of him. He's got some physical pains that are uh, a little bit beyond his uh, uh, ability to deal with. What's going on here? We're hijacking you, Chief, because it's not just Tom's It's Tom Alley's birthday. birthday. It is. It is Tom's birthday, but he happens to share it with the Chief Now, here. I sent you that email. So, yeah, you did. I can't read. Well, before yeah. you ask me, before you ask me. Right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we don't do birthdays here. No, oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Do birthdays. yeah, we do. We, we love you both. We're so grateful for your leadership in so many ways. Uh -huh. And uh, we can't let you slide uh -huh. because you always ask uh, uh, your wife, and your mother <laughs> to come on up and embarrass them terribly. So mm. now it's your turn on the hot seat. Yeah. There's there's something special in here. There's one thing you don't want to open. Okay, okay. <laughs> but um, there's something here that um, will will make the class oh, yeah. better. Oh, good. Yeah. You mean right now better? Yeah. yeah. Okay, right yeah. now better. Yeah. Okay. Wow, you guys are way too much. Okay, now you should not have done this. I, I specifically asked for this not to happen. Yeah, well, okay. this is we Tom listen Alley. as well as you do. Can he be seen on the? Uh, can he be seen on the video? Yes. Tom, he can't. Oh, oh look at I've got I've got hair now. Finally, <laughs> I've got hair. Look at that. All right, I, I now have hair. I'll, I'll even leave it up. Oh, I'll tell you something. Well, I'm putting this on. I will tell you something that happened. I had somebody call me today. A guy called, he got my number somehow, and he has started what, uh, best listening. Best day of my life. Best day of my life. <laughs> he started listening to uh, the sermon audio, uh, which is, we have YouTube, we've got Rumble, and we also have a platform called Sermon Audio. And he started listening to the sermon audio uh, stuff on the, uh, uh, on the internet, I guess driving to work. And he called me, and we talked for 20 or 30 minutes. And um, he was listening and he said well I wanted to know who I'm listening to and he said I didn't think I liked what I saw or something like he's like I didn't ex Wait. I didn't expect a preacher to look like, like you yes. but you know whatever anyway if he knew I didn't tell him but if I have a wife that likes my beard and so I have a beard because my wife likes it. If, if she told me to cut it, it would be cut. I don't care. I mean, I don't care what I look like. This is a lot easier because I don't have to do anything. But 
this is her beard, and this belongs to her. So, yeah, well, I like it because it hides my ugly face, but other than that, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm thoroughly embarrassed. You should not. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I, I don't embarrass anymore. Yeah. That's right. We've been around him for way <laughs> too long. So many times. It doesn't bother me. But it still bothers him. Yes. yes. I don't like this. Okay. Yes. And I, I had specifically told her this morning that uh, my birthday was taken away because I didn't fill out the appropriate forms. Yeah. And so um, yeah. that was that was not good. I, I'm embarrassed now. But that's the way it goes, I guess. Yeah, so you have to get the hair over. One yeah, I, yeah, I've got. I, I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid to put it over my shoulder because I'm. Charlie, what? I'm going to tell you something. If if I was to wear this where people didn't know that it was not real, then I really would lose people. So. <laughs> Look at the camera. It looks great in the back. Oh, I'm young again. Look at that. I'm young again. Okay, well, all right. We got all this bind us. We have to open in prayer now. So here we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Tom on his birthday. We're very blessed by his presence in our lives. And uh, we ask that you give him many more years of health in his life, despite the physical afflictions that he's facing right now. And Lord, we're uh, grateful to you for uh, the people in Pakistan that are doing their job and that are... Uh, uh, faithfully, faithfully telling others about Jesus and their, their own newfound faith. And Lord, we uh, pray for uh, this class. We pray that it will be uh, something that will bless somebody. And uh, we just thank you. We thank you for the joy that you give us in our hearts and the fellowship we have with other people, even when they don't really do what they're asked to do. Lord, you're very good to us. Thank you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, let me see if I can get this thing back on here. Just so you know, online, the people are half-half, half-side with you saying, yes, well, you embarrass Charlotte, is the other half payback is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the, the, ones that, the ones that agree with me are on my good side today. Right. <laughs> They're on my good side today. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, so um, here we go. We've got that done. We've got that done. And we, oh, I, did I say that? Yes, I did. Okay, I've got that also. So... Um, um, you know, one other person that she didn't ask for prayers, but she had COVID. We prayed for her a couple weeks ago, and uh, she's waiting to find out if she's totally, you know, when you take your test so she can go back to work. So we want to just add Jill in that she, uh, uh, you know, can go back to work. And this was a couple days ago, so she may be back in work by now but just came to mind right now. And there are other people, I haven't written them down. It's been another very busy week, but we'll go ahead and get started. We're in the book of Colossians and we're in chapter one, which is surprising. I thought we'd be out of there quite some time ago, but we're still in chapter one. So, um, I, and just so you know, the people online, I don't mean to cut this class short, but we're going to cut it short because um, uh, we have um, obviously Tom's birthday we need to celebrate, and so it'll probably be cut at least 20 minutes short. But we'll get started right now, and uh, we're in Colossians 1.21. You start whenever okay, you on want. On average, we've been getting two, maybe three verses in. Okay. I don't think we're going to beat that tonight. Well, maybe no. I can whip it out. Here we go. Starting 21, which is the beginning of a paragraph, so we'll go with that. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay, this was a little different. And you who once were aliens, I'm sorry, who were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled. So it adds a little bit. I don't know if well, that's no, in the mine next is one. That my, but my, now it, 
has been reconciled to submit. Oh, first. I see. It's so before it. Okay, they just. Verse. Oh, okay. So okay, you're, that's you're what I was wondering. Down. Okay, if they just they divided the verse differently. One more thing. We'll evaluate this verse in five seconds. Somebody sent me this shirt. It did not have a name in the package, but it's very good. It says, "Nothing is returning to normal." But normal Jesus is. is oh, oh nothing normal is not coming back. But Jesus is. That is wonderful. I don't know who sent this, so please send me an email and let me know where that came from. And uh, I very much appreciate it. But um, there was nothing in the uh, in the the bag when it came. But thank you for whoever sent that. And uh, let's see here. We have um, 21. Paul just wrote about the reconciliation and peace which is found through the blood of Christ's cross. Now, equating that to what occurred in the lives of those at Colossae, and thus to us, because the epistle is written and recorded in the Bible, he says, and you. He uses this phrase to demonstrate that what he just said applies directly to them and what occurred between God and them because of Christ. They once were alienated, once, no longer alienated. This thought is similar to that of Ephesians 2 verse 12, where he wrote that they were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Well, you know, Israel was without Christ as well. They still are without Christ. Um, so we need to make sure that we take everything in the proper light of things. Israel was given a covenant. God was working with them in that covenant. They obviously uh, refused or rejected the one who was the, the fulfiller of that covenant. And, you know, this is all seen in the Joshua sermons right now. We're going Joshua 1, 2, 3, and now we're in 4, and we'll get the answer to Joshua 4 this weekend. But, um, uh, you know, when it says that you, they were being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, obviously um, Jesus said that uh, if you don't have the, what is it, John three eighteen? it says that uh, if you don't have the Son, you're condemned already. And... So even in the commonwealth of Israel, there are people that are estranged from the commonwealth of Israel, okay? The idea is that God has done something. He has given it to a group of people. They had the right to those covenant promises, and we as Gentiles were not a part of that at all. We are now accepted into that commonwealth because of Jesus. Doesn't mean we've replaced Israel, you know, the church. It doesn't mean anything like that, but... Um, this thing keeps going down. I'm afraid we're going to have to get a new chair because this thing is obvious. Is it, Four times it's gone down to today. Um, I don't know. There might be something that can be tightened, but it keeps going down. And uh, um, Anyway, um, so um, just keep that in mind is even the people that are in Israel may, not, may be strangers from the commonwealth of Israel because of their state of rejecting Christ. Okay, um, uh, so going on. Those in Colossae and indeed all who have not come yet to Christ are in this state. They are alienated from the, good, from the good that God offers through Christ Jesus. Okay, so there you go. Indeed, all who have not yet come to Christ. So that's inclusive of people in Israel as well. Just because they're given a covenant promise doesn't mean that they're going to receive that covenant promise if they have not accepted the provisions of the covenant, which is Christ. And as I said, we saw that very clearly in Joshua 3. Now we're going back into the same account again in Joshua 4. You saw that last week, and we're going to finish it up this weekend. But that is something that will eventually come about in Israel. So 
Um, look at that guy coming in. Wow, he's big and handsome. Yeah. We got somebody coming through the door that um, I, I won't ask him to come up and show himself because he's camera shy, but he's my middle brother. And I can tell you that when people see him and they see me, I actually had a lady at the Thai restaurant, my business partner for years, for, they won't be able to see it because it, it'll go out of focus. It's yeah, it's it focus certainly. You'd have to come. You can come up here if you want. Come on up here, and I, we'll show you the they difference. But I can't believe he's doing this because this is my brother who is very camera shy. But uh, when my business partner of 25 years, okay, she finally met my brother. She said, "No kidding." Her exact words: "What happened to you?" That was her exact words. So there you go, Mr. Handsome, my brother. Yeah. Hey, I was shaved for years when she knew me, okay? The, the, the beard was not the issue. It was the ugly versus the, the beauty and the beast. Um, so there you go. Okay, now you've seen my brother. I couldn't, can't believe he did this. He's just not one to... Uh, it's your birthday. Oh, well, not mine. It's Tom Alley's birthday. Anyway, um, okay, so uh, those in Colossae and indeed all who have not yet come to Christ are in this state. They are alienated from the good that God offers through Christ Jesus. And not only alienated, but they are but enemies in your mind by wicked works. The Greek reads in wicked works. In the performing of wicked works, alienation from God and the state of enmity is realized. This is the power of darkness, which he spoke of in verse 13. The devil holds sway over the world, and all who are not in Christ are bound under his power. Everybody. Okay, we've talked about that. I talked about that just maybe uh, three or four classes ago. If you are not in Christ, your default position is in Satan. There's no other positions. There's either you're in Satan or you are in God because of Christ. Okay, that's made explicit in 1 John 3 verse 18 or 1 John 3 verse 8. Okay, um, the, the reason why the Son of God was manifest is to destroy the works of the devil. Says it elsewhere as well, but that's, that's very explicit there. We belong to the devil because of what he did, and only by faith in Messiah can we come out of that state. Okay, um, and you know, that's something that goes back to the Old Testament. Um, yes, the line of Israel was given the covenants and they were given the promises. But one thing you need to understand is that there, right there in Job chapter 1, Job and those with him were called, anybody? Gentiles. Sons of oh, yeah. God. Beneha Elohim. They presented themselves before the Lord. And that means that they are accepted in Christ because they have faith in the coming Messiah. So you did not need to be of the line of Israel in order to believe that the Messiah is the one that will redeem you. Okay? That is something that belonged to anybody before the coming of Christ that anticipated Christ, okay? Um, it certainly applied to a lady named Ruth, okay? It applied to other people as well. Um, who is it? Uh, Rahab the harlot. She was by faith recognized in the book of Hebrews. She knew that God had a plan, and that plan was for Israel, but it could include her, and there she is in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So it's not all about Israel the way that people think. It is all about Messiah. Where is your faith? The people beforehand were looking forward to Christ. The people now are looking back on what Christ has done and for his second coming or is coming for us at the rapture. But um, the point of the matter is, is that now we have a fuller revelation of God because Jesus has come. So somebody can say, I'm waiting for Messiah and they are not saved. 
okay? Muslims are looking for a Messiah, aren't they? And they're not saved because they're looking for the wrong Messiah. They have rejected the Messiah who has come. So we need to keep everything in the proper context. More revelation means more responsibility. There's one gospel. It is based on what Christ has done, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the devil holds sway over the world and all who are not in Christ are bound under his power. That's it. I'm sorry if you don't like that. If, you know, people tune into a Bible study and they hear something like that and they click off and say, well, I don't agree with that. Doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter at all what you think. What matters is what the truth is. And the Bible is God's truth. It is his revealed truth. And it tells us that we are by default in Satan. He's the one that caused the fall. He's the one that has control over the world. Okay. However, through the blood of Christ's cross, these things are defeated. As he says, yet now he has reconciled. The enmity between God and man is ended. The alienation no longer exists. And a state of reconciliation is realized. This is the power of the blood of Christ. All things are made new for those who reach out in faith and receive the gift of God, which is found in the work of the Lord Jesus. That's it. It is wonderful what God has done. He has reconciled us to himself through the blood of Christ's cross. Okay, so we'll read the verse again so you get the idea of what's being said. Um, 121, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Okay, speaking of that, before we get into the rest of the comment here, right now, I am right in the process right now of um, Acts chapter 10. Okay, who is the focus point of Acts chapter 10? Anybody? Peter. No, no, no. I'm talking about who Peter is, who, who is he tending to? Well, no. You're Cornelius. The Italian regiment, okay? And let me read you what it says there. I just typed this commentary yesterday, and I typed another one this morning, but uh, the, I think I typed Acts 10.5 uh, uh, this morning, which means 4 is the one I think I'm, yes, 4 is the one that I want to refer to. Then it says there in Acts 10.4, um, uh, let's see here, um, Acts 10.3 maybe. Yeah, X10, where are we? Italian regiment, a devout man and one that feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously, okay, to the people and prayed to God always. That's the one I wanted. I typed that, obviously, um, uh, four days ago. Boy, time really goes by. Anyway, um, he's a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Oh, okay, here's what I was thinking of, though. In uh, verse 3, it then says, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Verse 4, And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, this is verse 4, so I was right, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Okay, now you have to be careful with that because this guy is, is he saved or is he not saved? He's not saved. He's a Gentile who understands that he is at enmity with God. That's why we do things to please God. I'm talking about anywhere in the world. I've been to Muslim countries. I lived in one of those. I lived in Buddhist countries. I've lived all over the place in Asia. I've been all over the place in Asia. People are always trying to do good things. Why do you think they're doing that? Because the default position should be, I'm gonna do everything I can for me. 
and nobody else. And yet there are people out there that are doing good stuff. Why are they doing that? They understand that they are accountable to a God. They may not know who the God is, but they understand there is something innate, inherently wrong with them. And so by doing these things, and this is why when you talk to people about the gospel, they will often say, well, I'm a good person. A good person. I've done these things. I've, I've done these things for other people, okay? I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. They don't understand that they are by default bad, okay? There's nothing good in us. And the self-centered people are atheists. Well, that's right. That's, that is true. But no these atheist. people, uh, unlike the atheists, well, even atheists, though, you will see atheists doing good stuff. They donate money. They will do things that uh, and they understand e deep inside of them. Even if they deny it, like an atheist will, they understand that there is something wrong that they need to make right. And that's why they do these things. Because otherwise, if you look at all of the animals, if we're just an animal, like all of these other animals out there, they would be out there doing for themselves. They would be out there feeding themselves, taking care of themselves, okay? Uh, now, obviously, there's the mother instinct in an animal that takes care of it, but, you know, despite that, and that's just to keep the species going, is what the evolutionist would say, okay? But um, once that motherly instinct is gone, everything is, you know, it's be eat, eat or be eaten, right? So um, uh, this guy here is doing good things. He's praying to God. He is a sincere person because he knows there's something wrong. And he hasn't suppressed that knowledge, like Paul says in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he says that these people come to the point where they suppress the knowledge of God in their unrighteousness. They don't want to think about that disconnect, and so they just go from one moral perversion to the next. And that is where we are going in this nation and in this world right now. You'll still see people that understand and have not suppressed it, but most people in this world are getting to the point where they don't care anymore. And so it's just dog eat dog. That's why we're, they're talking right now. I've seen article after article after article in the past two weeks about pedophilia being recognized as a valid uh, thing and that it, people should be allowed to exercise, not just to accept them in their thoughts, but to allow them to work out their conduct. And this has become standard among academicians in America right now. I don't even like bringing that kind of stuff up during the update, but this is going on. I've, I can't tell you how many articles I've read from professors, supposed professors, that say that this is something we need to entertain. We need to not judge these people, and we need to have different laws for them because this is suppressing the knowledge of truth in unrighteousness, and this is what Paul writes about. But I'm talking about a guy like this that has not done that. He understands there's a disconnect. And so that takes us right into what we're looking at in this particular verse right here. We have these things going on in our lives and we need to be attentive to them, okay? Life application. Paul takes it as an axiom that all people are alienated from God until they come to him, meaning a God through Christ. All people. This is something that affects all people. And we talked about that in one of his verses recently, either one or two weeks ago. And it's very explicit what he said. We are at war with God. We have no nothing we can do to please God. And so when it says that your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial for before God, God understands that we have this innate desire in us. And now what is going to happen in Acts chapter 10? The truth of God in Christ is going to be presented to him. And by the time we get to at the end of Acts chapter 10, he will have accepted that message and he will receive the Spirit. The Spirit. 
Okay, that means that he was not saved when he was praying to God. So we cannot look at Acts chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, or uh, 2 through 4, and say, oh, this is a guy that's right before the Lord. He's not. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ has appeared. And because he has appeared, he can no longer be looking forward to a coming Messiah. He cannot be saved in that revelation that saved Job and the other people. He now needs to accept the full revelation of God, which is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So this is, all of this is valid, it's all relevant, and a lot of it is actually seen, isn't it? Right in these early Joshua sermons. All the way through Joshua chapter eight, we're gonna see the same theme carried out again and again in different perspectives. And then at the end of chapter eight, which I just typed this past Monday, it ends. Okay, let me read you the end of it, and you can think about that. We saw the picture of uh, these pictures that have started. Well, when we get to uh, Joshua chapter 8, you're gonna, there's a couple verses that are just thrown in at the end of the chapter. Okay, and so I know, I, I don't know what's coming in chapter 9. I can't tell you, not for the life of me, can I give you an evaluation of what's coming in chapter 9. I'm going to have to wait, and I'm going to have to see. Okay, but I know that what we are seeing now from Joshua 1 through Joshua 8 is going to end, and so I typed, if I'm wrong, I will have to amend the sermon when I get to Joshua 9, 10, and 11. I'm just going to have to amend it and say, uh, so you guys don't get the bad information. But I, I have no doubt. It's Joshua 8. It's the Battle of Ai. It's all given in typology. They're, they go in. They capture the city. They burn the city. And then it says in verse 30, this is what I typed this past weekend, 30 through uh, 35, just a few verses, it suddenly changes from all of this typological stuff that we've been seeing, and we will see for the next few chapters, then it says, now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, something we've already covered in Deuteronomy, an altar of whole stones over which no man has yielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And, and there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Now, I have argued for you in chapter, uh, from chapter 1, actually from Deuteronomy, uh, what is it, 34, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, that the law is now ended because Moses dead. dead. He pictures the law. I've argued that, right? And that we've seen the typology, which clearly shows Israel is entering through Jesus, meaning that the law is over. That's all very clear in these sermons. We've known this since Numbers chapter 14. I've been saying this. This is Israel being under punishment for rejecting Jesus. We've known that since Numbers 14. And all the way through, we've seen this typology waiting for the end of Deuteronomy for Moses, the giver of the law, to die so that Israel can come into national salvation. It was as clear as could be. And does anybody disagree with Joshua chapter 3? No. It was evident, very evident what happened. And we're going to see the repeat of it in chapter 4. We're going to see another angle of that, actually several angles of it in chapter 5. Chapter 6, we're going to see it. Chapter 7, we're going to see it. Chapter 8, we're going to see all these different things that happen in the salvation of an individual, which also now happens in the nation of Israel. And then all of a sudden, we get to Deuteronomy again. And we get in, in, the in fulfillment of the, the admonition for them to build the altar, right? It says, um, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, 
The stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them were in front of Mount Abal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. We saw all of this told. You will do this after you cross over the Jordan. Moses explicitly said to do it, and now that is being fulfilled. Why would that be in here if Israel has been nationally saved? You tell me. Okay, well, we'll find out in about 10 weeks because I typed it this past Monday. But there is a reason why, and it tells me that that fulfillment of that order by Moses to build that altar and to display the law of Moses tells me that the typology that we've been seeing ends. I may be wrong. There may be more in chapter 9. I don't think so. Chapter 9 is where the Gibeonites are going to come in and they're going to uh, deceive Joshua and they're going to make a covenant with Joshua. I bet, I don't know, I mean, I haven't known with any of these sermons for what was coming until I typed them. I don't know what's coming in chapter 9, but I bet it is not typologically pointing to Israel's national salvation. It has to go back to the reality of the fact that they are still living under the law. I well, mean, pictures the, you the, can the think company. that. That's fine. I want you to well, keep thinking about it. I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. It's like eventually you have to get back to, okay, you're still not Well, that's true. Israel is under the law, and we need to remember that as we go right. through these particular sermons. Israel, all the way up through Malachi, is under the law. And that is true. But is that what that is picturing? Okay, see, so we'll, we'll find out we'll find in out. about 10 weeks, okay? But I want you to think about that in advance, because what we've been seeing and what we are going to see is very clear about what is going on in Israel's national salvation. Okay, so having said that, we'll read this life application. We'll start it again. Paul takes it as an axiom that all people are alienated from God until they come to him through Christ. This is something we need to consider as we interact with others. They are either in Christ and thus reconciled to God, or they're alienated from him. If we can just remember this simple truth and then gear our hearts hearts toward the fact that Christ died on a cross to end this alienation, then maybe we will make evangelizing others a greater priority. Like these people over in Pakistan that have suddenly decided that this world is not their home. And they're going to tell people, and as they said in their last email, which was just, what, uh, three weeks ago? We don't know what to do because we could lose our lives if we pass this message on. What are they doing? They're passing this message on. They've come to that realization that this is more important. If we can gear our hearts towards the fact that Christ died on a cross to end this alienation, then maybe we will make evangelizing others a greater priority. What prompted God to do what he did through Jesus should be what prompts us to act in the same manner. Think of that guy that went crazy. They put him in that mental asylum because they thought he was insane. Instead, he just was crazy for Jesus. Let us display the love of God towards the lost, endeavoring to change hearts and minds for the purpose of reconciliation and salvation. This is an important thing to do. It's important because you may never pass that person again. And what's going on there? Okay, well, I can't do anything about that noise and I apologize. Okay, um, 122. Okay, this is the NIV. It's split up different. Yes. So here it is. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Okay, um, now I'm going to go ahead and go back into verse 21 and read the same thing. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death 
to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Okay. Um, you know, while we're talking about these differences, and there are differences, and uh, I had a call on one of them today, and I also had an email, actually several emails from a person over the past three days on why the Bible has differences in them. And one person was concerned about some uh, issues with um, the account of uh, Goliath in um, 1 Chronicles and in, I think it was 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Um, and there's a difference in it. One of them says that uh, the brother of, and the other one doesn't say the brother of. And uh, she said, well, that worries me that a Bible has taken those words out. And I said, they weren't taken out. The Bible you're looking at added them in. I said, if you'll notice, they're in italics, okay? They are saying, well, this over here and this says this, and this over here and this says this. And so uh, we're going to add in these words, italicizing them so that you can understand we did insert them, but that's not what the original says. And what I did is I sent her a copy of you know, the uh, NASB, the King James Version, and the original Hebrew links so that she could see those, okay? And the same questions came up in a conversation on the phone today. There are differences in Bibles, okay? There might be a verse missing, and I said, what you want to do if you're going to read different Bibles is always try to get a Bible with footnotes, footnotes and then read the uh, footnotes. footnotes. Don't worry about Bibles with commentaries. They can only put so much of a commentary on a page, and you might have scholars that will write a 15-page commentary on a single verse of that page, and down at the bottom, they'll say something about nothing. Okay, don't worry about Bible commentaries. If you want real commentaries, go to a real commentary book on the Bible or the websites that have those, okay? But if you buy a new Bible, I recommend that you get a Bible that has, and it'll tell you, with footnotes. If it has footnotes in it, then when you come to a section in there and you see a little mark, it may be a one or it may be an A, it depends on what Bible translation is, but it'll refer down to the bottom, A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four, and it will give you a footnote. And this particular text says this, this particular text says this, or this in this verse says this, but it doesn't say it here. And it seems like either a contradiction or, and they will help you to understand why things are going on in the Bible. The footnotes will give you the mechanics that you really need if you are studying as a scholar would in the Bible. And that's what I recommend that you do, is have a Bible with footnotes and read the footnotes, okay? And also, the lady was looking for a new Bible. What do you recommend? And, I, you know, people ask me that a lot. And I don't really recommend any one Bible, okay? And I'm not one to go this text or that text. But what I do is I always tell them that when you get a new Bible, read the preface first because that tells you all of the mechanics of what they are going to be doing in the Bible. If it doesn't have a preface, then you have no idea what they're doing. They may italicize inserted words. They may bracket them. They may put them in boldface, whatever. And so uh, the best thing to do when you have a um, uh, new Bible is to know what's going on from the preface and have one with footnotes, okay? But if you want to know the best Bible to use, I always try to say basically the same thing in an email like this, and maybe I'd just type it up and then I could just put, you know, cop, copy and paste to people and it would make my life so much easier. But here's what I do for Bibles, just so you know. We, we're going to finish another verse and then we'll be done today. But for right now, I always use what Bible for sermons? King James. 
New King James. Not the King James. He's being a wise guy over yes. there. I don't thee, thy, that. Listen, I grew up. I grew up in a uh, uh, Quaker family, and I grew up with thee, thy, thou. Okay. I know what those words mean, ye and you. I know what they mean. I just don't use them. That is not my thing. But I use the New King James Version for all sermons, studies, and um, commentaries. Okay. If I divert from that, I will tell why, especially like in Acts. The New King James Version will not translate properly, say, um, uh, aorist participles or present participles. And because they don't do that, you don't get a sense of what's going on. So instead, what I do is I will copy another Bible translation like Young's, and I will paste it, and I say, I am using this for this commentary because it is much closer to what you need to know. Okay, so New King James Version for studies unless it's otherwise explained. What Bible will I read? I read any Bible as long as I can get information from it. You know, I've read, uh, I, I can't tell you all the different versions of Bible that I read. You know, don't go in there saying, well, it's not the King James Version, and so I'm not going to read it. Or, you know, it's based on the Alexandrian and not the Byzantine, and so I'm not going to read it. Pick up a Bible and read it and understand why the changes are in there, okay? We've talked about them many times during the Bible classes. Why is the Alexandrian different? How can you know what the original rendering is? Or how can you get very close to knowing what are the problems with the King James? What are the problems with the NASB? Okay, these are things that you can learn over a lifetime. You don't need to, you know, make a, a dogmatic decision right now today. Read any Bible as long as you understand what they are doing with that Bible. If you don't understand what they're doing with that Bible, like a Hebrew Roots Movement Bible, I would not read that Bible, okay? Now, I am right now reading, I'm on my second basically Hebrew Roots Bible that I'm reading right now because I want to understand what they're thinking. I've read the other versions enough where I know that I'm not going to get led astray by them, but I want to know why they are translating these things so that when I talk to somebody stuck in that, I can now talk to them about what's wrong with their Bible, okay? I think that that's not an invalid way of doing things as long as you have a purpose for doing it, okay? But um, uh, I would recommend if you get, say, NIV, anything older than the 2004 copyright. The yep. older you go, the better off it's going yep. to be. After 2004, they start changing it for political correctness. Mm -hmm. And there's no need for that, okay? The Greek may accept it, like instead of brethren, let's do this, it goes to brothers and sisters, let's do this. There's no need to make that change, yep. and so it is solely for the reason of political correctness political correctness, and I do not recommend that people read that Bible simply because they have departed from sound values. Older NIVs are fine. I have no problem reading them. The NASB, you can find uh, good in that. It's very literal translation. It's a bit stuffy. The ESV, it's written or uh, translated by reformers, and so you can see some changes in their prophecies. Not changes in uh, the how they've translated it, but changes from their attitude. You know, when you translate something, your attitude will be in that translation. You would know that because you've learned languages. Hideko used to be a translator for the U.S. government, and surprisingly, at the exact same time, the Japanese government, doing classified information for both, and they had no problem with that. Now, tell me that's not crazy. But I guarantee you that her translation, exact Japanese translation will be different than the next person because that person is coming at the text with their own thinking. 
They're not doing it purposefully. They're doing it with their thinking. And so a reformed theologian will naturally look at Daniel 9 differently than a person that believes that it is speaking about after the cross and not the cross itself, okay? In other words, Jesus, you know, is he's obviously in there, but then after that it's speaking about the antichrist of the end times, okay? And the so, Bible basically pushes towards that, especially in the New Testament, because you have three synoptic uh, Bibles, right. which are Synoptic basically Gospels, Gospels. I'm yeah. sorry, that are basically coming from different viewpoints and that's angles, right. and it's and the th same th That's topic. exactly right. There are three people that are giving you the same information and you're reading it a little bit differently. And so that's a good example. Translators are not intentionally trying to manipulate God's word. Some of them are, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about people that really want to give you a, a, a good translation of the Bible. They're gonna speak English a little bit differently. Okay, the British obviously translate differently than the Americans, etc. So you're going to get these differences, but don't don't get legalistic about the translation if it is something that is intended to exalt God. All right, and the guy I was talking to on the phone today, I, I told him always follow the money, because there is a ton of money in Bible translations, a ton. Okay, and so you can know. Uh, just is this something that somebody is doing to get rich or is it, you know, you, you can kind of get that sense depending on how they present themselves in the preface. The preface will tell you a lot about what's coming, okay? But as for... We, we could learn something of the books that uh, Isaac is handing out to his people. Oh, yeah. It's been like recently translated into yeah. their language. But that would be done by professional translators and you're going to see that every translation around the world out of like Wycliffe is going to have its own translator's thoughts. It's, right. They're going to be conveyed in there. It, it, you can't get away from that because I'm Charlie Garrett, and when I translate something, I'm going to do it based on what I know about the Bible, about what I know about the English language. I may like to use, um, you know, words, uh, synonyms, so I have different words that say the same thing, so I'm not saying the same thing all the time. You know, it all depends on who you are and your the basis for those things. But I, I know we got off on a tangent there, but uh, something in here caused me to do that. We'll go ahead and get into 122. Uh, we've already read the verse. Um, Paul's words of this verse place a stress on the literal human body of Christ Jesus. Okay, his. Well, let me read it again because it was a while. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Okay, his words here expand on the thought of being reconciled from the previous verse. This was accomplished in the body of his flesh. Okay, flesh is the, the, the man. It's the, you know, I don't want to use the word carnal because that kind of makes you think of something, but, you know, it, it's the physical body of Christ. All right, it's what is fleshly. Okay, as I said a couple weeks ago, the blood is the life. And so when we speak of the blood of Christ, we're thinking of the death of Christ. The blood has been shed, okay? In this one, it's the body of his flesh. Atonement could not come through God, who is spirit, nor could it come through an angelic being, which also has no physical body, okay? So God, you know, he can forgive our sins, but how does he do that, okay? If uh, there needs to be blood for the atonement of sins, then he can't send an angel that is just, you know, a spirit being to atone for our sins. God has a way of doing things. Because God is spirit and because he is infinitely holy and because we're fallen, it means that we are infinitely fallen. There must be something to bring us back to God. 
There must be something, and Jesus Christ's body, his flesh, his blood, is what is that thing, that, that composition that will reconcile us to God. And the cross is how that was performed. Okay, so atonement could not come through God who is spirit, nor could it come through an angelic being which has no physical body. Rather, it had to come through a human. However, not any human could do. As humanity is infected with sin, this needed to be a sinless human, or no atonement could have taken place. Now, that's an important thing to consider, and I may say this later in the commentary, but um, all around the world, you'll see these altars that have been built like down in uh, South America and Central America and elsewhere in the world where they would sacrifice little young virgins. Why would they do that? Because this is an innocent, pure little girl and she's going to atone for our sins. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. They did not take Theology 101 and understand that their first father had sinned, and that sin transfers from father to child. Not father to son, from father to child, meaning son or daughter. So that when that child is conceived, that child bears sin. It is not an acceptable sacrifice for sin. But that's why they were doing these things, is because, and you'll see that in the Bible. Uh, what's his name? Misha, the, uh, uh, the king of Moab. What does he do when they're being defeated in battle? He takes his son and he offers it. And there was great rage against Israel that day. You know, and you're wondering what's going on. He's looking for atonement and he's looking for God to favor him in this losing battle with the giving of his own son. That's what he's trying to do. He did not understand the theology of the Bible, which says that where David says, let me read it to you just so you don't think I'm making this up and I'm saying that to people that may have tuned in for the first time. Right there in Psalm 51, take you to verse 5, and it says there, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. It was already done. Just being conceived, he inherited Adam's fallen nature. That little baby could not atone for the sins and therefore, what happened was just the loss of the guy's child. That's the only thing that resulted from that was the loss of his child. We cannot atone for sin with another human being because the human being has sin. Hence the sign of circumcision, hence the coming of Christ fulfilling the sign of circumcision. Okay, It is for this reason that Paul has carefully and precisely described the deity of Christ. He's been very careful about doing this in Colossians chapter 1. Go back again, if you don't remember, 15 through 20, and it'll show you this. In so doing, the humanity is clearly revealed as pure, holy, and capable of redeeming man. It was not possible any other way. It was impossible any other way. Only a man with a fleshly body could do it, and only a man without sin could do it, and thus only a God-man could do it. As he is fully man, he is capable and qualified to atone for man's sin. It is through this unique body of his flesh that the necessary atonement can be obtained, but still it had to come through death. Jesus Christ really died for our sins. The Bible instructs us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no atonement for sin. In the Greek, there is an article before the word death, and so it reads, through the death, 
or through his death. The article is masculine, and so could say through his death or through the death, but that is the only way that this could have come about. Okay, um, uh-oh, I won't read that because it's something I've got to give you in a uh, prophecy update. I was going to tell you something somebody sent me this morning, and it's really relevant to this right here, but I can't do it because I'm going to ask you all a question as I do at the end of every prophecy update. Who said this? Okay, and if I gave that away, then I wouldn't have a really, really great quote for you to try to guess. Okay, and it deals exactly with what we're talking about right here. Okay, I'd have to explain why, but you would understand if you understand that we're all fallen and that people are doing things in order to get reconciled to God. But there's only one way to get reconciled to God, and that is through Christ. Again, Paul stresses the humanity of Jesus with the article. He really lived and he really died proving that he was man with a human body. Okay, once again, uh, Maya has been doing the Bible Bites. If you haven't subscribed to uh, Bible Bites at the Superior Word, you should do that. She's She picks out these beautiful little things that I don't even remember having said, and she puts them down into one, two, or three, maybe four minutes long of very precise theology, like... Um, uh, and I think Lee, Lee, I'm not including you because I don't really know if you guys are working together on these or not. If you are, then Lee also, because he was talking about that and I uh, had to go through some YouTube thing to get him on there. But I know that Maya does these as well. But um, uh, right now, she's, as I said, she's going through these doctrine sermons and she's taping these little things. And one of them is talking about the humanity of Jesus. He is really, really human. And that's one thing that we cannot get away from without immediately diving into heresy. He was really human, he is really human, and he is really God. And we cannot waffle on those things, okay? And he is also the son of God. He is the second member of the Trinity, okay? That's an important thing. To get away from that is to devolve into heresy. This is this is all very important to understand, and she's putting all of these little things on there in these little bite-sized nuggets so that you can understand what's going on. Because um, when you're watching a sermon and I give you 8,000 points on the humanity of Christ, it's not easy to remember any of it. I understand. It's like you, you, you leave in, but what she's done is she's taken and put it in, in a, a way that you can say, I get that, okay? So it is through this part of his nature, his humanity, that atonement was realized. Paul then shows that this was done in order, here it is, to present you, you, Jesus did this for you, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Jesus Christ did these things for you. This is the thing that ought to bring us to a state of, hum, you know, a humbled awe. heart and awe and say, I want to tell other people about what Jesus has done. You know, I understand that there are people that just have a hard time communicating with people, and that's why we have things called tracks, okay? My friend Ken, he's up north, and he, uh, once every couple weeks, he's like, Charlie, I need more tracks, and so I go, yippee, I get to send out more tracks, and I get this big, long envelope, and I stuff it full of tracks, and I send them off to Ken, and he, whatever he does with them, I don't think he eats them for breakfast, that's for sure, but he hands them out, and he gives them to people, and yeah, bad taste. Uh, well, you know, it might be uh, the opposite of uh, Ezekiel. He had the sweet taste in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. Well, I think that would be a bad taste in your mouth. And then maybe, I don't know, after that, probably a stomach ache. Anyway, but yeah, don't eat them. But he, uh, he does this. And other people do as well. They'll email me once in a while and they'll say, I need more tracks. And I don't mind doing that because I understand 
that they are handing these things out. They're not just saying, I want to do this, and they're not doing it, okay? So, um, uh, actually, one lady in South Africa asked me about tracks, and her son happened to be here in America for a while, and so I said, well, I'll send some to him. So I sent them to him and she, he's gonna take them back to her. So there'll be some tracks in South Africa. Now I want you to know if you're overseas and we send something from America, I may have said this before, it is very, very expensive. It's not like when you send something from your country to here. It is very expensive from America. It's not worth me sending you tracks, okay? If you need money to buy tracks in your country, I will send it to you, okay? I'll be happy to do that if you can't afford to buy your own tracks. But it is very, it's just not worth shipping things out of the United States, you know, unless it's like, uh, it, it's just not worth it. It's very expensive. Um, and that's because we assume all of the, uh, the costs from the rest of the world. That is what the U.S. has done for many, many, many years. We assume those costs. And because of that, our rates going overseas are out of sight. And that includes Canada. I mean, it's funny, I can send something to Michigan on one side of the border and it'll cost me 25 or 50 cents. And I send it to the other side of the border and it'll cost me a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, depends on how thick it is, and it might cost twenty-five dollars. And it's not very big package. So, you know, the same package in America might cost two dollars, it'll cost twenty-five to send right over the border. So I, it, I, it's not that I don't want to do those things, it's just that it's not profitable to do so. It, it would be cheaper for me to just send you the five bucks and say, go buy them in your own country. Anyway. Um, Paul then shows that this was done in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The his of these words is speaking of God. Okay, it's speaking of God. God is doing this in Christ to present us to himself in his sight, in other words. Okay, the words of his of these, of this, the his of these words is speaking of God. The human aspect of Christ died in order for man to be acceptable before the divine aspect of Christ in God. And thus, the work is sufficient to please the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why it says that God is pleased when Christ did this. The Father is pleased when Christ did this. It'll say that the Holy Spirit seals us. Well, that doesn't happen until Christ's work is effected in us through belief. Okay, and so you can see just in the process of salvation, the Godhead at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, it's not one God doing things in different modes. It is three persons within the Godhead that are all performing actions from the Godhead. Okay, it's, it, if you just look at the process of salvation, that ought to be obvious on the surface. In Christ, we are deemed as holy, and thus we are positively set apart as acceptable to God because of Christ. In Christ, we are deemed as blameless. The word indicates without blemish. Okay, think of what um, Peter said about Jesus when he wrote about Christ. He is a uh, uh, lamb without spot and without blemish. Okay, Christ was absolutely perfect and pure in his being. Hey, look at these guys. They've got something for us. All right, and that's my handsome son and his beautiful wife showing up for uh, late for Bible class, but with a whole armful of pizza. Okay, so um, uh, he is a lamb without spot or blemish, and now that is being converted to us. That is being imputed to us by saying that we are deemed as blameless. Christ is blameless, and now we are blameless because of the work of Jesus Christ. 
The word indicates without blemish, because of Christ, we will be presented to God as bearing no sin. Okay, once again, this comes in, this is the theology, and this is something that I would say that well over 90% of the church does not get. They do not get the word. It begins with, it, stand up. Well, let me see that shirt. Move your arms. Okay, she... Come here and show them that. I want I want to see if anybody can guess what word I am going to uh, tell you. I don't know if they, can they see that in there. Grace. <laughs> it, grace. This is the grace crossed by Charlie Missy, and that's a perfect. That's exactly what it. Go sit down, my beautiful wife. Okay. Most I would say that ninety percent of the people in the church do not get the word grace, and that is not just because yes, they understand that the grace of God in Christ sa saves us. Okay, most people get that. That is something that people seem to understand. God died, I, or God sent his son to die for my sins, and I've accepted that, and I've received it, and I have received God's grace. Okay, we all know that. But from there, the understanding of grace is suddenly lost. And they say, I need to now start doing things in order to keep being saved. They did not understand grace in the first place. There is no comprehension of grace if you believe that God will take grace away. Because if he can, and if he does, it is not grace. grace. Okay, that is something that we must focus on. And we must be able to uh, tell people properly. Is that if you are in Christ, you are supposed to do these things. It's called the epistles, and they give us instruction on how to live our lives how to uh, develop a church, how to ordain people in a church, how to do certain things in your life so that you are effective for Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. But they miss something in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 that says that in Christ we are not being imputed sin. Or as the NIV renders it, God is not counting sins against us. Why is that the case? How is sin imputed? By begins with a, an L and it ends with a W. Anybody? The law. the law. By the law, sin is imputed. The knowledge of sin comes through law. If there is no law, you cannot have sin imputed. We are not under law, but we are under grace. grace. The entire point of what Jesus Christ did was not just to save us, but to save us, to keep saving us forever. Okay? If people don't understand that once you are saved, you are always saved, they have not understood the word grace. And so please try to think on that. Try to solidify your approach to telling people about that and tell them that God's grace is greater than all your sins. Okay? That means past, present, and future. That doesn't mean that you have license. And I've talked about that before. You do not have license to go out and do bad things. But if you do those bad things... God is not going to take away your salvation. What he is going to do is he is going to take away your rewards, okay? That is, that is what grace is, and God's grace is sufficient for all your sins. Even if you're, well, I won't say, you know, I was going to call you a blank, 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 but I won't do that. I was going to start with the word arrogant and just keep building on it, okay? You need to understand that you have a responsibility to God because of what he has done for you, okay? The only one you're harming by not doing that is yourself, okay? Your life is the one that's going to be uh, bad. Okay, sin comes through law, and in Christ the law is annulled. Hebrews 
7.18, Hebrews 8.13, Hebrews 10.9, Colossians 2.14. It's all, and many other places, okay? It says it in Romans probably 15 different ways, but um, in Christ the law is annulled. Sin cannot be, here it is, imputed where law is ended. By, law, by the law is the knowledge of sin. When you don't have law, there is no knowledge of sin, either from your perspective or from God's perspective. He's the one that gave the law to Adam. Adam violated the law, sin entered the world, okay? He is the one that gave the law of Moses to the people of Israel. By giving them that, he put, as Jesus himself said, a great yoke upon them. He didn't use the word great yoke, but I'm paraphrasing that, but he said, come to me and I will take, I will make your yoke easy and your burden light. Uh, what did Peter called it a yoke in Acts chapter 15. Paul calls it bondage in Galatians chapter 4. Okay, the law is opposed to a graceful relationship with God. Okay, that's something that we also need to understand. I'll read it again. Um, uh, in Christ, the law is annulled. Sin cannot be imputed where law is ended. Therefore, we will be without spot or blemish and considered pure and undefiled by sin because of Christ. This is what Jesus has done. He didn't come to say, okay, I'm going to heap a bunch more laws on you that you couldn't do for the past 1,500 years. You couldn't do for the past 4,000 years. I am going to give you something entirely new, and it is called grace, okay? That is what we are to live by and to be thankful for it and then to live for God in the freedom of the grace, okay? Which we will also see. Guess what? We're going to see that. Let me, uh, the title of, I think it's next week's sermon. I don't have it with me. Um, I, I know what it is. If it's, is it chapter 5? Okay, I won't even give it to you, but um, I think it's chapter 5. The sermons from there will be, uh, do I talk about the reproach of Egypt? She's shaking her head because she's been uh, checking them. Uh, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Well, what do you think that's talking about? Okay, we'll go on. Um, uh, and we're almost done. Uh, the words speak of legal, oh yes, we're going to be above reproach. The words speak of legal charges used against someone in a court of law. No charges will stand against us, people that have come to Christ and are true believers in Christ, as we are brought into the presence of God. No charges. There will be judgment for rewards and losses, but there will be no charges, okay? No charges will stand against us as we are brought into the presence of God. The decree, not guilty, will be proclaimed over us because of our standing in Christ who is not guilty before his Father. Christ isn't guilty. We are in Christ and therefore not guilty. Life application. Because of the work of Christ, we are free from guilt and we are reckoned as righteous before God. Paul asks us in Romans, Who? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Take time today to ponder your standing in Christ and show your gratefulness to God for what he has done. Give praise, glory, and honor to him for freeing us from what would otherwise be eternal condemnation. Thank God for Jesus Christ and thank God for the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we're very thankful to you for what you have done in Christ. Help us to express that appreciation through proper living, through holy living, through living according to your word, and through telling other people about the same thing that we have experienced and the joy they can have of the freedom 
from the burden of sin that bears upon man. Thank you for the easy yoke of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, and it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay. Get this thing backed up here. is the most interesting verse. We're going to get to it next week. We expect it to be here or be square. Break. Let's see here.